are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to James chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 4 and reading through verse 7. Uh, you know, I titled this sermon, The Devil Made Me Do It, more like a question. Anybody who's older in my age remembers a African-American comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. And he had this little twist, a distortion that he would do with his body. And then he would say, the devil made me do it. And let me say that theologically is not correct. The devil never makes you do anything that you don't agree to do yourself. And, you know, we all need to remember that, you know. And sometimes we blame the devil when the reality is, is that we teamed up with the devil to make a poor decision. And then we suffer the consequences. James chapter 4. Remember, James is written by Jesus' brother, his half-brother, the, uh, the son of Mary and Joseph. And he is the oldest of the siblings under Jesus. So he grew up under Jesus. And I always laugh and smile and think to myself, wow, could you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? How many times did Joseph and Mary say, why can't you be more like your older brother Jesus? He is such a good kid, you know, but the reality is, is that, boy, what, a, what an unbelievable upbringing growing up in the shadow of Jesus. In James chapter 4, beginning of verse 4, well, let's go back to verse 1. Let's get a running start. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because why? You do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all your blessings. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Lord, cleanse me. Let me be a tool today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I've got a friend of mine by the name of Steve Taylor. Steve was, uh, he's a dear friend. In fact, he just buried his wife of 53 years a while back. Sheila and I 
attended the funeral. He was a missionary in Zimbabwe, Africa, an IMB missionary. And uh, he wrote a book. The book is called Alpha Predator, uh, subtitled How to Be Victorious, or How to Be Victorious Over Life's Ultimate Adversary and What to Do When You're Not. In other words, this is a manual on how to battle our enemy, Satan, Diabolos, the devil, Lucifer. In this book, and I want to read here, he tells the story of a college student, a young man. And this young man is killed by lions. He starts off, on the night of the attack, my family and I had been sitting on the front veranda of our home in Siavunga, Zambia. We were looking across the river, as we often did, gazing at the lights of Zimbabwe dancing on the surface of the water. We often entertained ourselves in the evening by imagining what life must be like for those people enjoying the adventure of falling in love with Africa for the first time in the safari camps that we could see on the other side of the Zambezi River. The red-orange light was the first to fade as the guides and the tourists grew tired and let the campfires begin to burn low. Soon the brighter light, white lights, also faded as the generator motors were switched off in the safari camps. Their dying mechanical coughs, sending alien sounds of false security ringing through the forest as the tourists made their way safely to their tents. Nobody ever dreamed that night that a young Englishman would fail to heed the warning to keep his tent tightly zipped. Nor did, did they expect him to pitch his tent dangerously far from the main camp and the fire. But neither, neither did they expect him to be dead within the space of just a couple of hours of time from when they walked away from the fire and wished each other a pleasant sleep. The young man had spent such a wonderful day game viewing, sightseeing, photo photographs with his friends, but life in the African bush is always uncertain at best. The lions were roaming that night looking for an easy meal, and young David Pleidel Bouvrouvre uh, it's a French name, was selected as the target. He goes on, Steve goes on to say, for the next several weeks, I found myself dwelling on the events surrounding that young man's death. We have an enemy. And that enemy, the Bible says, goes about like a roaring lion seeking who may, may devour. Now, the first point that James makes here is James begins by warning you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, now everybody listen, of the danger of friendship with the world. You see it? Look at verse 4 again. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is what? What is it? It's hatred toward God. 
Now, I've had a busy week. I spoke it last night at First Baptist Brandon. So forgive me, but I'm going to probably depend on my notes a little bit more. So y'all kind of bear with me a little bit. But let me give you a quote. And, and you tell me, you think about it for a moment. People will make this quote. You are known by the company that you keep. You ever heard people say that? You're known by the company that you keep. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to say that you're known by the company you keep? One writer made this statement. He said, you, who you hang around with, who you spend your time with, who you listen to, who you want to emulate or be like, in many ways, that's what it means. You're known by the company that you keep. You know, bad company will do what? What does the Bible say? Bad company does what? It corrupts what? corrupts good morals. You know, one of the things in raising children, a lot of times you'll hear your child say something, and you'll look at them and go, where did you hear that? Who told you that? Where did you hear that word? And more often than not, you can trace it back to a peer or a friend. You know, by the company you keep. Um, I even wrote this down, it's true. You know, peers are no longer in a physical sense, are they? Everybody look this way. What is this? It's a phone. And a lot of people, their friendships, their peer groups are what? Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, whatever it may be, whatever they're listening to. In essence, in, in reality, what programs we watch? TV programs, music, rap songs, heroes that we look to and try to emulate. Anyone who's speaking into our life is a friend. Right? So James here is warning that if we're not careful, the company that we keep, the friendships that we have, have the potential of affecting our life. And before long, we begin to pick up their traits, their mannerisms. You ever hang around somebody for a while and you begin to sound a little bit like them? You know, we watch Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods is, a, is a, uh, the, the police commissioner of New York City, played by Tom Selleck. And uh, sometimes I watch Tom so much that uh, I'll say something and I'll go, that kind of sounds like uh, Frank Reagan on Blue Bloods. You know, you and I have the potential. We're like a sponge. And if we're not careful, we can be influenced by the traits and the behaviors and the mannerisms of other people, and it affects our life. And so this is what James is warning David Jeremiah said in his book, Turning Toward Integrity, listen to what he said. He said in fact, J, uh, David Jeremiah said this is the best definition that he ever heard about what it means to be a friend of the world. Listen to what he said. He said, James is speaking of a system that is in opposition to God. He continues, the best description of this world system is as follows. The world is human nature, sacrificing the spiritual for the material, the future for the present, the unseen for the, for the eternal, of the seen for the eternal, to that which touches our senses, 
but will perish in time. The world is a mighty flood of thoughts and feelings and principles of action, conventional prejudices, dislikes, attachments, which have been gathering around human life for ages, impregnating, impelling, and molding, and degrading us into its image. That's the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. You know what the writer of Romans was saying? You and I are walking every day in an environment that's trying to press us into its image. That's what the world's trying to do. And so every day you and I are going into that image. Now there's two dangers here. Number one, we look like those we hang with, right? Whoever your friends are, whoever pe the, the people that you give authority to speak into your life, they have the potential of molding you into their image. That's the bottom line. So what James was saying, number one, we look like those we hang with. Now listen, this is critical. Number two, the greater danger is we hang with them more than we hang with Jesus. I told you years ago, Chris McKinnon, a man that's like Johnny Gooch, he's about as close to Jesus as any man I know. Chris McKinnon came to me one day. He was all excited. He handed me the 90-day Bible. And he handed me this 90-day Bible, and he said, and boy, he was so excited. And he gave it to me, and I said, Chris, thank you so much. And man, he was just, he was just brimming over. He was so excited to give this to his pastor. And I looked at it, and I thought, read through the Bible in 90 days? Well, I'll, I'll try it. So I'll never forget, Sheila was cooking supper, and you've heard me tell this story. Went back, sat down back in the bedroom, and I started reading and it took 47 minutes for me to read the first day. I walked back into the kitchen. I was somewhat irritated. I said, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know why we're getting all the crackling. I guess it's my mic here today. But anyway, I said, I can't do this. I said, Sheila, this takes, it takes me just about an hour to read just one day. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm disappointing you. I know you expect better out of your pastor. Well, Sheila didn't have, the meal was still a long way from being ready. So I went in there and sat down. I sat back with a glass of tea and I watched Andy Griffith. And then I watched another Andy Griffith. And Andy, two Andy Griffiths without the commercials and all the other things. Do you want to know how much time it added up to be? 47 minutes. And you know what God said to me? You know what he was just shouting? Carrie, you know what he was just shouting? You got time for Andy Griffith, but you don't have time for me. You know, Sheila says something. This bothers her. This bothers Sheila. I want you, what, my, 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 my pants are cold on that, on that booth there. And you know what she says? She said, you look just like Andy Griffith. 
Now, you know, I'm being honest with you. The reality is, is that I have time to watch two Andy Griffins, but I don't have time for the Word of God. And so no wonder I start looking more like Andy, sounding more like Andy, dressing more like Andy, acting more like Andy than I'm Jesus Christ. And that's some of your problems in this room. I'll tell you what your problem is for some of you in this room. You spend more time with some of your friends, some of your music, some of your TV series, some of your programs, some of your movies, some of your sports heroes. You spend more time with them than you do Jesus. And guess what? You look like them. And so do I. You see, let me give you the two dangers again, what James was saying. We look like those we hang with. Number two, the greater danger is we hang with that person or that program or that music or whatever it is. We hang with them more than we do Jesus. I love this. Alicia, make sure you tell Ledge. I don't know if Ledge will be hearing this. He's out in the park. Oh, you're back there. Okay. He's behind the camera. C.S. Lewis said this. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I took a late night walk with Tolkien, this other great British writer. He said, I took a late night walk with Tolkien. And he said, I came back the most reluctant Christian in all of England. He went on to say this. He said, the friendship of Lewis to Tolkien changed the trajectory of his life. He was never the same. Think about that. In some ways, he's my hero. College kid, just graduated, had no idea what he would do with his life, running from God, running from the call of God, freshly, newly married, not knowing what to do, going in to pick a six-pack of beer, only to hear a man that looked like a raving idiot on a flatbed trailer preaching and talking about Jesus. In that moment, in that moment, I can see it in my mind burn forever in my memory. I can still hear the sound of his voice, still see him standing on that flatbed trailer in the moment of reaching to open that door of that establishment. In that moment, God was speaking, shouting into my life, what or who do you want to be like? You see, this is what James is saying. I wrote down, who do you model yourself after? Let me ask you a question. Young people, who do you model yourself after? Who are your mentors, your examples? Who's your heroes? Do you have any heroes? Who's your heroes? Who's those people that you look up to? Every mom and dad look this way. Everybody who's a parent look this way. If you don't hear anything else, you should be the hero to your own children. You've heard me say a lot of times, hey, if you ask me, you say, hey, Brother Jeff, you'll be 68 in November. You're heading towards 70, trying to catch up with Johnny. Who's your hero? Who's one of your heroes? My oldest, longest hero is a man that will turn 94 October 20th. My dad. I can remember as a boy watching my dad. I'd try to walk in his footprints. My grandmother, my grandmother said of my, to my dad one time, she said, I've never seen a son love a dad so much. He loves you. 
I'd try to walk in his footprints. And sometimes my dad was a smoker. And he ended up with smoker's cancer, nearly died. And I would see my dad light that cigarette and throw that match off. And when he would do that, I would step away. Even as a boy, I would step away because I would think to myself, that's one thing I don't want to emulate that my dad does. I don't want to be a smoker. Who's your hero? Parent ought to be your children. Take a, take a right there. Look at 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, watch what John says. This one that, like James, so close to Jesus. Watch what John said. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Watch what John says. The disciple that many say was the closest to Jesus. The one that he loved in a special relationship. In 1 John 2, 15... Do not love what? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has, the boasting of what he does, listen to this, comes not from the Father, but from what? You see, that's the way the world lives. world wants to know what you wear. world looks at what you got on. The world looks what kind of shoes you're wearing. The world looks at what kind of vehicle you're, you're driving. The world wants to look at the tag that you have on. Is this Heinz Rankin or Madison? Already there's a judgment. Profiling, my friend, it's not law enforcement that profiles. We all profile. It's where you live, what you drive, what you wear, uh, what you look like. You know, who your family is, what kind of job you do, your education, all of that, how many degrees you have behind you. You see, all of that gives us a feeling of worth and value, and, and, and we feel important, and boy, the devil loves that. So that's what he dangles in front of us. Isn't it interesting that one of the great pivotal figures in my lifetime was Mother Teresa, a pauper. A little dried-up figure who worked in a leper colony touching the lives of broken people. And her life literally made President Clinton shake in his boots when he spoke. And, and when he spoke and she was in his presence and she reprimanded the President of the United States for his views on abortion. Someone asked President Clinton, Bill Clinton afterwards, why didn't you say something? He laughed. He said, you think I'm crazy enough to say something to the woman from Calcutta? He said, I would have been the one who was made to look bad. You see, who's your heroes? Jesus said this in Luke 16, 1. He said, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. You and I, hey, I always remember. Sheila, do you remember? I was speaking in Hunyani in this church in Zimbabwe, in this area of Chitanguiza, and I looked at the Africans and I said, I have... 
I was talking about idolatry and I said, you're laughing. I said, I've got America's God in my pocket. Well, every African sat up listening and I'm probably trying to say it in Shona in the language of the Shona people. And so they're glued and they're waiting for me to pull out this idol, whatever it is. And I pulled out a $1, U.S. $1 bill. And they all just started laughing. Because immediately they all understood to the American, to the materialistic mind, the dollar money is everything. Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. So, Listen to Paul, one more. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. Demas, you know what he said about Demas? He said, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Well, second point. The outcome of the friendship with the world is that you and I become an enemy of God. Listen to the Amplified Bible here. It says, you adulterous, disloyal sinners flirting with the world, breaking your vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself or herself an enemy of God. Listen to this. This is so clear. Imagine a friend looks at you and says after seeing you with someone else, is that person a friend of yours? Your response is, yes, they are. Your friend then looks at you, Now, I want you to listen closely, looks at you and says, well, if that person is your friend, my friend, you are my enemy. Do you know that in the lifetime of your pastor, you know there have been some friendships? I've ended like that. For that very reason. Uh, especially in the race issue. If I was around another pastor, and I even remotely thought that he was somehow linked to closet prejudice, closet racism, or I begin to see him align with people that I knew were diametrically opposed to me in the area of race relations, judging people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. I'd end a friendship like that. I've had people use the N-word. Or a friend of a friend used the N-word. Friendship ended like that. Let me ask you something. What would cause you to break off a friendship? What do you have to compromise to have that friend? What moral and ethical spiritual principle, what is something that you're having to compromise to maintain that friendship or to be seen in a good light by a group of people that the reality is God's telling you to leave them, get away from them. All they're going to do is they're going to mess you up and they're going to carry you down the wrong road. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, he was part, he's a pastor, a Lutheran pastor and a theologian. Do you know what he tried to do? Do you know what he was instrumental in being a part of? It was a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. In fact, Hitler would have been killed in this plot. They had explosives near Adolf Hitler in a meeting. 
in the middle of nowhere because Hitler, Hitler got a lot of threats. And the, the briefcase had been put near Hitler to, to kill him. The only problem was somebody at the table or the meeting area had kicked the briefcase over to the side and it had fallen behind a slab of wood. And when it exploded, Hitler was not killed. In fact, you know what Hitler did? He thought it was the providence of the sovereign, whatever he believed about God, that had actually protected him. Hitler killed, because of that malfunction, he killed over 7,000 people that he believed might be a part of that plot. He imprisoned Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor and theologian. And one week before Allied troops got into Germany, Hitler had Adolf Hitler uh, Adolf Hitler had Dietrich Bonhoeffer killed. Let me ask you something. Who are your friends? Well, I just hang with them to win them. Yeah, right. Yeah. You tell yourself that. That's a lot. Reality is, is that some of us find ourselves admiring the unchristlike behaviors and traits secretly of people that we need to be breaking off relationships with. Sometimes you don't have the spiritual maturity, the fortitude, the strength to win somebody to Christ. You better let somebody else do it because you're not in no condition to do it. You may say young people do this all the time, especially when they're dating, right? They're dating somebody. You know what the Bible says? You're not to date somebody. You're not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. You say, well, I'm just dating them. You don't date somebody that you can't marry. Because you're dabbling and playing with your emotions. But let me say one other thing. You know what a lie that comes out of the pit of hell? Is people start dating somebody and they make the mistake of thinking that they can win them to Christ over time. Even they'll marry them. They'll say, you know, I think if I work hard, let me tell you the success rate of that is very, very small. The Bible says, Paul said in Corinthians, he said to the Corinthians, you, not to be unequally yoked. We don't have the spiritual strength, the maturity, the fortitude. There's somebody, think of it this way, young people, think of it this way. Somebody's down in a well, in a cistern, which is in the old time, you had cisterns, they'd catch water. Somebody's down in a hole, in a well, a cistern. They're down in there, and, and they're hollering. And so you just walk by, and you hear somebody, and you turn, and you look, and here's a friend. And you think to yourself, you say, hang on a minute, let me, and you go get some rope. You drop the rope down there, and then you say, okay, you wrap that rope around you, and I'm going to pull you up. Now, let me ask you something. What happens if you don't have the strength to pull your friend up out of that hole? They're going to pull you in. You see, that's what James was saying. James was saying, listen, when your friendships and your, and your ties and your peers and those things you admire and you want to emulate, you want to, you want to be like them, listen, they're not, you're not pulling them up. They're pulling you down. And let me tell you what they'll do. They'll pull you all the way down, rope and all, down in that hole. 
And young people, parents, let me tell you something, parents. Let me tell you how you can lose your kids. You teach them one thing and live out something else. You get on to them about their peers. You talk to them and warn them about the boys and girls, teenagers they're hanging around with. You talk about their friendships, and then you never monitor yours. You watch programs that you know good and well you shouldn't watch. You listen to music you shouldn't listen to. You have friendships and acquaintances that your kids are sitting there watching, and they know that it's nothing but evil. It's nothing but bad, right? <coughs> well, lastly, <coughs> the real danger is the force behind those friendships, behind the world. What is it? Look at verse, look at verse 7, and we'll close in a moment. He says here, in fact, he says here, watch what he says. He, 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 he gives you such insight. James says in verse 7, he said, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, because the devil... His, that world system we've been talking about, that's his system. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and what? And he will flee from you. You know what Steve Taylor says in this book here? Steve Taylor says this, that a scout says this. A scout says to a hunter, you've got your high-powered rifle that'll bring down a, a lion, you got your high-powered rifle slung on your shoulder. Do you know what a scout says? A scout says, if you have a lion 50 feet from you, you're dead. In other words, you can't get the rifle off your shoulder and take aim and kill that lion quicker than that lion is going to kill you. That's what he says. In the movie, uh, The Gladiator, Russell Crowe plays the part of the gladiator called the Spaniard. The gladiator's a seasoned soldier. He's the commander of Rome's army. He's a, he's a warrior at heart. If you remember, there's another man. His name, he's played by Oliver Reed. And he plays the part of this old retired gladiator who in many ways owns the gladiator, the Spaniard. He's the old gladiator talking to Russell Crowe, this young gladiator. And let me say something about Oliver Reed. I don't, you may not know what I'm talking about. In the movie, The Gladiator, the gladiator's called the Spaniard. He's a gladiator. There's an old man who's a gladiator who's trying to talk to the young gladiator who's played by Russell Crowe. Oliver Reed, who plays the old man, do you know that he died in the filming of The Gladiator? Young people, do you know how he died? He died in a pub challenging people to a drinking, to an alcohol, and basically who could drink the most. In a pub, he dropped dead of a massive heart attack and died. The man who played that part. You know what he said to The Gladiator, though, in the movie? Here you have this man that's a Span the Spaniard. He's, he's the commander of Rome's army. He's a warrior. Nobody can handle a sword like him. The old man looks at him and he says, Gladiator, he said, Spaniard, he said, you're good, but you're not that good. Let me tell you, folks, let me, let me just say this. You may be a strong Christian, but you're not that strong to go against Satan your archenemy, 
in your own strength. Can't do it. He'll take you out. So what does James say here? Real quickly, three things. He says this. Give me five minutes. Five minutes. James says this. Watch this, verse 7. What's the first word? Submit. Greek word, hupotasso. Submit to the authority of God. Submit to the Word of God. Submit to the counsel of God's indwelling Holy Spirit. Submit to the teaching and leadership of spiritual leaders who love you. Do you know that Sheila and I were in, we had come through Brandon, we stopped at a pizza place. And I was sitting in the car while she ran in. I am behind, I am in my car with the windows down, parked down in a low place with a hedge. All of a sudden I heard a girl giggle. I turned and caught about that much, a part of her shoulder, half of the side of her head, couldn't see her face, and I said, that's Caroline Seals. And you know what God said to me in that moment? A pastor knows his sheep. A shepherd knows his sheep. Sheila came out a few minutes later. She was laughing. She was holding our takeout order, getting ready to get in the car. She laughed. She said, you'll never believe who I saw. And I knew immediately who she saw. She had seen Caroline Seals. The reality is, is the leadership of your pastor is important in your life. Let me tell you something. I want you to listen. I want you to listen watching them on live stream. You can't make it without a godly pastor and a godly church. You can't do it. You can't, you can't get it. You can't survive this spiritual war that we have with this fallen world system in your own strength. How dare you think that? There are people all the time. They just wash their hands of the church. They go home. I don't need the pastor. I don't need the church. I don't need Sunday school. I don't need the deacons. I don't need the Sunday school teacher. I don't need the staff. Ah, go it alone. My friend, that is contrary to everything that the Bible teaches. You are part of a body of believers, and you can never go it alone. You don't have, you don't have enough to do it. Why? Because we have an enemy that goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If, if you know, Elephants, let me tell you, and I've seen them. When a lion threatens a, a, an elephant, a sick elephant, or a young elephant, you know what those elephants will do? You're exactly right. Sheila knows because she's seen it. Those elephants, they're a community. All of a sudden, they'll wrap. They'll wrap around that, that, that wounded elephant or that young elephant. And you know what they'll do to a lion whose jaws, listen, are like this? Hey, a grizzly bear, his skull looks like this. If you don't believe it, ask Doug Payne to show you. A grizzly bear's uh, skull looks like this. A lion, he has one sitting on his desk. The skull of a lion sitting on his desk is like that. It's massive. He can break the neck of a Cape buffalo, the snap of my finger. He can kill you in an instant. Do you know what an elephant will do? It'll stomp him. An elephant will come around its baby. It'll come around its young. It'll charge and it'll throw that lion with its trunk and will stomp it and kill it in a matter of a second. 
That's the church. That's the body of believers. And you need that. Resist the devil. Submit, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil. What does that mean? It means stand firm against him. We don't have time to look at 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, but I love that passage because it's so similar. And then who runs? The devil runs. You know, let me, let me say this. You're the salt, light, and yeast. I don't care what Hollywood says about your enemy, the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know what that means? That means in Ephesians 1, the deposit of God's Holy Spirit in my heart, in my life, is greater, hear me, is greater than all the forces of hell combined. You may get goosebumps and whatever watching a scary movie that promotes evil and makes evil look like this force that can't be reckoned with. My friend, listen, Hollywood may convince you of this exorcism or some of these movies that are out, but hear me. The Bible says the deposit of God's Holy Spirit in your heart is greater, listen, than the entire contents of Satan and all of hell. That little bit of God here. You're the salt, light, and yeast. I don't care what room you walk into. I don't care what, how much evil is there. When you walk into that room, listen. Submit, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil who runs. Who runs? Satan. Your enemy. I close with this. Sheila and I, we went and I told him one time. Friend of ours died of a massive heart attack, just dropped dead. Flew in, ran thousands of acres in a farmland. And we went to visit, and they were going to go through. The house was filled with heirlooms. Sheila and I, we had looked at some of those things, and we kind of thought, man, I'd lo we'd love to have that. This woman came, she got out of her vehicle, and when she got out of her vehicle, and you can go ahead and stand, when she got out of her vehicle, Sheila and I were sitting there talking to the wife of the man who had died. And when she got out of her vehicle, listen, she gets out of her vehicle, and, and, and she's, she looks at us from the moment she gets out of her vehicle. I mean, she's, her eyes are about this big. She's walking like, she, like we're getting ready to attack her. She's just walking like this all the way around. Let me tell you something. When she got out of her vehicle, it might as, a, it might as well have been a demon. I knew something was demonic about her from the moment she stepped out of her vehicle. But you know what she also knew? There were a couple of God's kids sitting up there talking on the porch. And let me tell you, we weren't afraid at all. She was the one shaking and walking as wide a perimeter. And let me tell you, she went in there and she duped that grieving family out of everything they had. Why? Because her God's mammon. But hey, they were two of God's kids. And that's how you are to be. What did Jesus say when you pray? Say, Abba, Father. Hey, Dad, Daddy, I'm God's kid. And don't mess with me. Because my daddy gets real, my daddy's real protective. He's real protective. He loves his kids and he loves you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. And 
Lord, we have all made that mistake. Lord, I know I have. Chum up to the world, sleeping with the enemy, living a life, dear Lord, watching things, doing things, saying things, and Lord, finding yourself, if you're not careful, not drawing near to God, but drawing near to the world before long you. I've begun to look like the world and act like the world, talk like the world. And so many times, dear Lord, I've looked and said, God, what am I doing? This is not me. This is not who I am. You've not called me to sound like this TV program pers personality. You've not called me to mimic the behavior of a hero that's ungodly and immoral. Lord, help me to draw near to you. Help me to submit. Help me to resist. Help me to stand firm in the faith. So God, I pray today if there's one in this room that looks at their life and they just say, you know, I'm not a Christian. If I died, I don't know where I'd go. I know there's a heaven and I know there's a hell. But to be honest, chances are I'd go to hell. And they're sitting here right now, or they're listening. And God, you're working in their heart. And you're saying to them right now, today, today, right now. Right now. I want you to ask me to come into your heart. Lord Jesus, the Bible says that when we repent of our sin, which means there's just remorse and regret, over how we've lived our life. And in that moment, we begin to recognize that Jesus Christ wants to come in and to take the control of our life. When we open up our heart, when we say in a childlike prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me. In that moment, Christ comes in to live and to fellowship. And as Jeffrey reminded us, he loves us with a perfect love. It's not conditional. It's unconditional. It's not waiting for us to do wrong. It's picking us up when we do. It's not building condemnation. Oh, it brings conviction, but it doesn't condemn. So, Lord, we pray today that if somebody here does not know you, that they'll just simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord of my life. And Lord, for whatever decisions need to be made, maybe time to come to the altar and say, I've been friend chumming up to the world too much. Things I need to let go of and I want to do it today. They don't need me to be here to pray with them. They just need to get before God, do business with God. God, there's some things I've been watching Shouldn't have been watching. God, there's some things I've been listening to. God, there's some friendships there taking me down the wrong path. And God, I feel today you've said you're not strong enough. I want you to pull away from them for now. I'll send somebody else to deal with that person. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come.